The St. Vincent de Paul Society in St. Petersburg was awarded a grant for $5 million. So what kind of impact will this make here in the Bay Area? Pope Francis proclaims 2021 as a year dedicated to St. Joseph. And what's the difference between public and private revelation? And has God revealed himself to you? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Bishop, we're almost at Christmas. It's good to see you. John, pleasure to be with you today. Recently, I saw on your social media accounts that you were up in St. Augustine for a little retreat. Well, it was more of a meeting than a retreat, but um, every December, the bishops of the province of Florida, which is the seven dioceses in the state of Florida, get together for a brief meeting. Usually, it just lasts about a day and a half, and we meet with the executive director of the Florida Catholic Conference to talk about upcoming legislation or things that we want to advocate for with the state legislature, but also, John, it's a, a bit of social time for us bishops just to be together and to be there to offer friendship and support to each other. Well, especially since you really didn't get to gather in person for the the big bishops conference. You had to do that by Zoom. Now we've had an election, although not one so much affecting our state politics. Was the outcome of the meeting, was there anything that might change that we need to know about as far as people in the pew and legislation? Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing major that I, I think I would want to share today. Um, no major decisions sure. were made. You know, of course, COVID was a big topic of discussion and, you know, trying to get everybody back to mass and when that might happen. And I know we've talked about that uh, sure. quite a bit on, on this show and, and what our priorities are going to be as, as a Catholic conference here in Florida. So I turned on the newscast the other day and I see you on the steps. City Hall. City Hall <laughs> with, a, with a crowd, a big press conference going on that uh, St. Vincent de Paul was awarded a $5 million grant from Amazon. Is it a grant or just a donation? No, it was. A, it's actually a grant. And Jeff Bezos, who as uh, listeners might of course know, is the founder of Amazon. His family has a foundation called the Bezos Day One Families First Fund. And they give grants to different organizations throughout the country. Uh, that make differences in people's lives. So this year, St. Vincent de Paul Cares was a recipient of a $5 million grant. There was also a organization in Orlando, Coalition for the Homeless, which received $2.5 million. Kind of the interesting thing before we get into what the grant's going to be used for is you don't apply for this grant. So most grants, you submit an application and you outline what you're going to use the money for and you submit it and they evaluate it along with many others and they make a decision. Here you don't apply for the grant. They have a team that researches different organizations around the country, charitable organizations that are doing good work and they recognize them by giving them this gift. There were, I think, only seven or eight that received the $5 million gift. That was the highest amount that could be given. And, of course, St. Vincent de Paul Cares was one of those organizations. So St. Vincent de Paul Cares is more of a regional organization. So they, they not only minister here in Pinellas County, where we are today, but also throughout the five counties of our diocese and even south of us. So they go into the Diocese of Venice and even a little bit into the Diocese of Orlando. One of their main focuses, of course, is trying to end homelessness. And that's what this gift will be used for. And specifically for homeless families 
and children, school children that are homeless. That's going to be a, a focus of this uh, particular grant is trying to, to get them out of poverty. If they didn't apply for the grant, did they just get a call or a letter from the foundation out of the blue saying, hey, we've dropped in this pot of gold, uh, in essence, in your lap? Could you imagine getting that phone no. call, John, or that no. letter? You'd, you'd almost question whether it was a joke or something, right. but no joke here. That's how it works. They have a team of people that what they do is, they, as I said, they research different organizations, and they want to recognize the ones that are making a difference in people's lives. And St. Vincent de Paul Cares was one of those organizations. So I was pleased to be there for the announcement of it. The the mayor was there. The city council members were there. Michael Raposa, who's the uh, director of St. Vincent de Paul Cares, was there. And it was just a day of joy, a day of hope, you know, in the midst of a year that's been really tough, very challenging. As I said at the the press conference, it was a, a light in the darkness this year. So it was good news. At many of our parishes around the Diocese of St. Petersburg, there is a St. Vincent de Paul Society, or there's a a collection uh, made for the poor box, or, you know, on the third Sunday of the month, we'll be collecting food for the local St. Vincent de Paul Society. Is St. Vincent de Paul a ministry of the Diocese of St. Petersburg, or they work in tandem with? Well, St. Vincent de Paul is actually an international organization. It is separate from the diocese in that it's a separate 501c3, so a nonprofit organization. And, and they have a, a quite a structure to St. Vincent de Paul. So you have the international organization, then we have a St. Vincent de Paul USA. And then, of course, under that, there's different delineations. So uh, St. Vincent de Paul at a particular parish would be what they call a conference. And so they would be a a very local ministry in which they would provide help and assistance to those in need in their local communities. But it's quite a large organization around the world. I think uh, over 100,000 members that belong to it. So does the the National Church, the the Vatican, the local bishop have any sort of say or or lack of a better term control over well of course any catholic organization that would do ministry within your diocese you do have a connection to them though i'm not in terms of governance i I don't really have any say with that particular with saint vincent de paul i have a very good relationship with them here in our diocese and in fact every year michael raposa comes to see me and gives me an update on what they're doing gives me an annual report. And we share the same mission, John. You know, the the gospel called to provide shelter to the homeless, to provide food to the hungry, clothing to those who who, who need clothing. So we share that mission, and so we kind of participate and and cooperate together. Sure. And I know that uh, for many of our listeners who may or may not know, Spirit FM has always been a big advocate. We've interviewed Michael a couple of times, and we just did a collection here a couple of months ago to help out some of the regional St. Vincent de Paul. What is the difference between St. Vincent de Paul and Catholic Charities of the Diocese of St. Petersburg? Sure. Again, so there are two separate distinct uh, ministries in terms of their organization and in terms of being separate 501c3s. I've already talked about St. Vincent de Paul, but Catholic Charities is a ministry of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. So there I do as bishop have oversight and a connection to it in terms of what they're doing and different projects that they might be working on or ministries that they're looking to expand. So, um, but, But that is directly connected to me as the bishop and to our diocese here in St. Petersburg. Again, though, we we share the same mission, which is caring for those in need. So really, the St. Vincent de Paul Society at the local parish, in essence, sometimes takes a burden off the local parish, and that when people come for assistance, 
the pastor or their team could say, let me put you in touch with St. Vincent de Paul Society, who's operating right here in the parish. They, they do, and, and that is a great blessing to a parish to have a, a St. Vincent de Paul conference or a ministry, as we would call it, because it, it is a place where when somebody comes for help, and of course people do come to the church when they need help, because they know that that's our business, right, is to help people in need. So to be able to refer them to St. Vincent de Paul, who will sit down and meet with them, will evaluate their need and assess it, and then see how they might be able to help. Some parishes do have charitable ministry like food banks or food sure. pantries, clothing and things like that. And they're not part of St. Vincent de Paul, but St. Vincent de Paul is, is more organized. There's kind of a spirituality about it, and it's a beautiful ministry. You and I both know that money talks. Churches, individuals, leaders can be influenced by large gifts. Did this gift to St. Vincent de Paul Society come with any strings attached? Not to my knowledge, and again, they didn't apply for it. Sure. <laughs> so, so basically, it was an incredible public recognition of the work and the ministry that St. Vincent de Paul Cares has been doing for, for years, for decades. It's a validation of that. And so really, you know, you think about it, for somebody to give $5 million to an organization, they have to have a high level of confidence in the work of that ministry, of that organization. And to my knowledge, no, I, I think it just has to be used for your mission. And in this case, it, it's being used for to address homelessness. You know, I know that, that there have been times in our church history, unfortunately, where, where people have been influenced to build something and um, you know, it can be twisted down the road. Um, and those are things that you as a leader and our diocesan finance councils and so forth have to kind of keep an eye on, isn't it? You sure do. I mean, we want to make sure we're always very grateful for the generosity of individuals who, who make a donation to the church or, you know, they want to build a building or, you know, something of that nature. But we also want to make sure that their heart's in the right place and that they're doing it for the right reasons and that there's no strings attached, as you said, other than, you know, that they have a say in, in what we're doing and obviously they want to support that. You know, when we give, uh, it, it's something we're called to do is to be generous with the gifts that we've received from God and the blessings and then, of course, to share them with others. But our hearts need to be in the right place. Yeah, and I've heard some skeptics that would say, well, you're you're building this a HUD community. You're accepting money from the government and therefore they're going to come back down the road. Yeah. Well, now, when you do uh, have a partnership like that with, with the government to, to do low-income or affordable housing, uh, there there are rules and There's regulations that you have yeah. to follow because uh, uh, that's just government. That's the way they do things. Mm-hmm. And they and they want to make sure that the money that they give for those projects is, is used appropriately. And we do have some of those housing uh, initiatives sure. here in our diocese, and they're very helpful. Again, it's a ministry of the church to, to provide affordable housing to, to people that need a safe place to live. If you want to find out more about St. Vincent de Paul Cares, you can go just to any of the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can go to at SVDP Cares on any of those sites or just simply Google it uh, in your browser and it will pop right up. Pope Francis calls 2021 the year of St. Joseph. The Vatican often proclaims a year toward a certain cause or uh, dedicates a year toward a saint 
Why St. Joseph this year? Sure. Well, the reason or the occasion for him claiming this or naming it a year of St. Joseph is it's the 150th anniversary of Pope Pius IX proclaiming St. Joseph to be the patron of the Universal Church. So in honor of that 150th anniversary, he wants to emphasize or to focus on St. Joseph this year, because really he's one of the the saints. I mean, we, we know who St. Joseph is, we don't know a lot about him other than what we read in the scriptures. And a lot of times he kind of goes unnoticed, a little bit under the radar. So it's an opportunity to focus on St. Joseph. Just from the little bit that we gather from St. Joseph, I've often heard, well, he was older than Mary. We don't really know how much older, a year older. I always got the impression he was like eight, ten years older. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the reason we have those images in our mind is because very often in religious art, he's depicted as an older man. I don't know why that is, John. There's yeah. really nothing to suggest that he was an old man. <laughs> but also, I wanted to mention that um, to celebrate and to announce this year of St. Joseph, the Holy Father issued a, uh, a document called With the Father's Heart. And it speaks all about St. Joseph, about his life, and about his virtues. And so that's an, a great document for the faithful to maybe undertake this year during the year of St. Joseph, is to learn more about him by reading this document that the Holy Father just issued. It's called uh, With a Father's Heart. And there are a number of parishes. I know Christ the King has a Society of St. Joseph men's group. Joseph has a special affection, uh, obviously being the father of Christ uh, here on earth. There's a special connect there, especially for dads. Yeah, so as you said, uh, St. Joseph is the, the foster father of our Lord. Um, he was there at, his, at the Lord's birth. He helped to raise Jesus when he was a little boy and a teenager, <laughs> even into young adulthood. And, and like most dads, he, he wanted to give a good example to Jesus of what it means to be a man. And he was a carpenter, so I'm sure he taught Jesus some carpentry skills. And that's why we look to St. Joseph as an example of virtue, because really he was that person in Jesus's life that really would have reflected what manhood is all about and taught our Lord that. In our society today, we see a lot of divorce and uh, men stepping into the gap to fill the role that maybe the, the um, natural father had left. And these are heroic virtues in many cases. Yeah, and you know, research has shown that um, in terms of faith, that when the father within a family unit practices the faith, when he goes to church with his wife and with his children, that there's like an 80% chance that the, the children will go to church for their whole lifetime. Whereas if you don't have that example of faith being given by the father within the family, that doesn't happen. Those numbers go way, way down. So um, so St. Joseph, within his own family, with, with Mary and with Jesus, you know, they were devout Jews. They followed the Jewish laws and customs, and uh, they would have passed that on to Jesus as he grew and as he matured into adulthood. Interesting that the Holy Father chose to uh, proclaim this and uh, release the letter here uh, during Advent, when if you think about it, Here's Joseph and Mary, a young couple not married, and suddenly the angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. Sure. So we, we celebrate and we recognize what's called Mary's fiat, or her yes to God's will, when the angel came and announced that she would you know, bear the Son of, of God. And she said, let it, let it be done according to, to your word. But St. Joseph also gave a fiat 
You know, when when he was told in a dream to take Mary into his home and to continue with the the marriage ritual, you know, that, that he had to say yes to God's will as well. And in both of those cases, they were asked to do something that was very, very difficult for them to understand. In sure. fact, they probably couldn't understand it. But yet with a, a great deal of faith and trust in God's will, they accepted his will and they did it. I just can't imagine the conversation between the two. She going to Joseph and saying, you won't believe what I dreamed last night or what I saw. And then him saying down the road, you won't believe what I saw. (laughs) Well, we read in Scripture, you know, that Scripture does say that Joseph was a righteous man and he wanted to do the right thing. So he was prepared to divorce Mary quietly just to avoid bringing any shame upon her. But then he had this dream. And God had different plans for him. And praise be to God, St. Joseph followed God's will for his life and took Mary into his home and then became, as I say, the the foster father of our Lord. Now, in this letter uh, that the Holy Father has put out, he mentions plenary indulgences. Can you explain that? Sure. So a, a plenary indulgence or a plenary indulgence, depending on how it's pronounced, is the full remission of any temporal punishment that we might be due or that we may have accumulated because of our sinfulness. And so there's certain things that we can do uh, before we pass from this world to remit that punishment. And those are outlined if you certainly can look them up on the internet, what the requirements are. And uh, for both the year of St. Joseph, as well as uh, we just had the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, there were opportunities to receive that plenary indulgence by doing some act of piety or uh, a prayer. And, and then, of course, there's other requirements about having a detachment from sin, about going to confession within a short period of time, usually two to three weeks, and receiving the Eucharist and praying for the intentions of the Holy Father of the Pope. But that's what a a plenary indulgence is. So for our non-Catholic brothers and sisters who, they may not jive with them. They may say, you know, good works doesn't get you to heaven. It's God's grace that gets you to heaven. How does this play into that? Well, again, the premise of receiving this indulgence or this favor is that we have a complete detachment from sin. And so when we express that through the sacrament of reconciliation, when we renounce our sinfulness, when we receive the Eucharist, which is the the source and summit of our faith, we believe that the church has been given the power to remit that temporal punishment. Ultimately, John, you know, getting to heaven is not a question of works. It has to do with God's grace and with his with his favor and his love for us. So it's nothing we can earn, but certainly working to get a, a, a plenary indulgence is a good thing because it helps us to grow in virtue and in holiness. We talked about Mary and Joseph seeing the angel, being obedient, and uh, there's something called Revelation. There's a book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible in the New Testament, and there's phrases called public revelation and private revelation. How do all these tie together? Kind of a little funny story as we get started. Uh, I I remember when I first entered seminary, you know, I mean, you go to seminary to learn, uh, to to, to learn about our faith and to study theology and philosophy and and all the different disciplines. But I remember I was in this one class and and the instructor kept saying, revelation, you know, revelation, revelation. And after class, I didn't want to raise my hand during class. I'm that student But after class, I, I went up and I said, I said, doctor, you know, I said, I said, when you say revelation, what are you talking about? You know, you keep using, he said, well, he said, no, he said, that's a good question. He said, revelation is, is God's revealing of himself 
to humanity. And so when we look at salvation history, when we look at the history of the world, we see kind of God's footprints or fingerprints that he leaves behind. And he leaves those so that we come to know who he is. So he gradually reveals himself through words and through deeds, through signs, so that we come to know him. And in coming to know him, we can better understand ourselves and God's plan for us. So one of the first biblical revelations, I'm guessing, would be, correct me if I'm wrong, when he revealed himself to Abraham through a conversation, would that be, am I in the ballpark? Yeah, that that would certainly be one. But of course, in the in the Garden of Eden, you know, we hear God's voice speaking to, right. to Adam and to Eve. And so he begins to reveal to them who he is and what his plan for them is. Uh, but yeah, then during salvation history with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, <laughs> you know, God, right, God reveals himself in, in various ways. But the thing to remember is that the ultimate revelation, the final and definitive revelation is Jesus Christ himself who is the word that becomes flesh. Jesus is God's word incarnate. And, and so there, that's the fulfillment of revelation is, is God's very son himself coming in and living among us. So does that continue then through the Eucharist? I mean, we believe that Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. So you're correct, John, in saying that it, it does flow into the Eucharist, because remember, at Mass, what we celebrate is salvation history. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who, as I just said, is the ultimate and the final, the definitive revelation of God's love for us. So Jesus reveals God to us and reveals who we are as children of God, who God desires to be with him. And so he sent his Son to be our Savior. And that's what we celebrate in, in the Eucharist is the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Public revelation. Yeah, so public revelation would be revelations of God that are approved by the authority of the church. And there's a process that we go through to determine whether something is a public revelation or is not. The fact is we believe and we teach that after Jesus Christ, who was the, the fulfillment of revelation, the definitive revelation, that there will be no more public revelation. So um, in other words, in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to know about God to be saved. He's revealed that to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. So there's no other revelation that's suddenly going to appear tomorrow or next mm -hmm. week or next year, which is going to change that. Now, there are private revelations, and we, we see that as well, where Mary or God does appear to people, but it's a private thing. It's to promote devotion. It's to, uh, to deepen faith. And, and they can be recognized as being authentic but it's not part of, of the public revelation that the church by its authority recognizes and that we look to as far as the uh, deposit of faith. Salvation history and so forth. Correct. Yeah, so an example would be with that Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Guadalupe, those kind of Marian apparitions type. Yeah, those are uh, where like Mary appears to somebody with a particular message, and those can be recognized, again, as being authentic and worthy of, of devotion and worship. And then sometimes they're not. You know, we, there's a lot of times where there's an apparent apparition, but it's not judged to be authentic. And that's where the um, investigations yeah. take place. But, but, but those revelations are very beautiful, like of Our Lady when she has appeared to an individual or to individuals, a group of individuals with a message that can help us to grow and, and to deepen our faith.
I would say, and and I know I've experienced this in my life, you know, um, in in my prayer life. I mean, the very act of discerning my vocation to the priesthood, I believe that God spoke to me in my prayer life, in my heart, in my soul, and, and revealed to me that this was his will for my life. And he does that for each of us. I think if we approach him sincerely and with an open heart and with faith, Uh, that he will speak to us. Now, it may not always be as clearly as we would like. You know, we're not going to likely have an angel sitting on our shoulder whispering in our ear what God's will is for our lives. But we have to be, if we're open and attuned to the signs around us, to the people that God puts in our life, to the circumstances and the things that we experience in life, very often you can determine or discern what God's will is. As we wrap up our show today, as we approach the Christmas season, would you lead us in a prayer, a blessing for those that are maybe alone this Christmas, maybe those that are are struggling and that they may find great joy in the birth of our Savior? Of course, John. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we continue on our Advent journey and as we go through these final days approaching Christmas, the birth of your Son, we just ask your blessing upon each one of us that we may prepare well in our hearts and in our souls to celebrate the Lord's birth and, of course, to look forward to his coming in glory. In a special way today, we lift up those who may be alone this Christmas because of COVID or other circumstances where they can't be with family and with friends. May each of us know your presence in our lives thanks to the birth of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to bring us peace, who came to bring us salvation. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.